Proverbs chapter 1 this morning. Proverbs chapter 1, and as with every other one of the messages we've looked at so far in our series on Proverbs, we're just kind of be jumping around. So uh, Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to read one verse, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into things. Proverbs chapter 1, take a look at verse number 10 with me. Proverbs 1, verse 10, I guess it would help if I got there, huh? My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for the privilege of looking at your word, and I pray today that as we open it and look into it, that you'll guide us and direct us and help us. Speak to us about yet another foundational truth today. And Father, all of these things from Proverbs are so practical, they, they cut and they hit us where we live. And so I pray today, Father, that you'd let the Word do that, but not let me do that. I pray, Father, that there'd be nothing I would say that would hurt anybody, but that, Lord, only your Word would come forth. Uh, Set a watch before my mouth, Lord. Help me, Father, today to say only things you once said, uh, but to say the things you do once said. So help us. And help us, Lord, to listen, to hear, uh, to be open to your Word, and to be changed by it today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I have mentioned the last couple of weeks, eventually I want to address some very, very specific things about family matters from the book of Proverbs. Uh, and there are some specific things we'll look at. But we've been trying to lay some foundation, uh, some foundational truths first. Just as with our building project, we've had to step back and take some time and say, wait a minute now, we've got to get this part right. And then, as Bill said, when we come up out of the ground, we can move on with some other things. And I'm sure that we're going to be happy that we took the time to do that. I think it's also true here. Uh, I think that once we lay some of this foundational truth from, from Proverbs, the other things will make more sense and they'll work better. Uh, to try to just talk about the specifics without laying the foundation, I think, would be a problem. So what if we said was a foundational truth for families? And remember, that's, that's the narrow focus of what we're trying to talk about. This is family matters, how these things apply to our families. So what if we said we're foundational? We've looked at two things so far. The first thing we said was foundational was that mom and dad's faith needs to be real. Uh, it does no good to talk about it with your kids if they don't see it in you. And so the reality of your faith needs to be there. That was foundational truth number one. And secondly, we learned last week that the Bible is our handbook for everything in life. And that includes family matters, how we raise our children. And we'll see some specifics, but just as a general rule, it is true. If we're going to influence our children for God, we must be influenced by the book. And the book must be the guide in our life. That's what, that which we base our lives and homes on. Well, I want us to look at a third foundational truth here today. And it's seen partially in our key verse today, which is what we just read. Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice you... Do not consent. Now, I have loved this verse for many, many years because this particular verse was the very first verse that our daughter Amy memorized. She was about two, and I can still remember her saying, My son, it's going to be nice because then thou not. She memorized it in the King James. If sinners entice thee, consent thou not. There is a foundational principle in that verse that we need to apply to our homes. Can you see what it is? What is the foundational principle there? My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Maybe some other verses from Proverbs would help. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Flip over there and let's just look at two verses there. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 14. 
Boy, there are a few sounds as beautiful as the sound of rustling Bibles. You know that? And in this echoey room, it kind of carries. Proverbs 4, look at verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Do you see a foundational truth there? Flip over one more page to Proverbs chapter 5. And here we're kind of slurping this out of a, of a larger section in Proverbs. But I just want to look at one verse which has the same principle in it. Proverbs chapter 5, verse number 8. Remove your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. You see the principle there? How about flip over to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, one page further. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Flip over toward the end of the book, Proverbs 24. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. So can you see a foundational truth there, a truth that applies to our homes, to our child-rearing, to our parenting, to everything about family matters? How about a couple verses outside of Proverbs? Maybe it'll make it clear. How about Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Is a foundational truth bubbling at the top of your head yet? You see anything in there that's kind of similar message from all of those verses? My favorite professor in Bible college was a very mild-mannered, soft-spoken man. A couple of you have met him. Dr. Whitfield, you've met him. He's the kind of person that if I were to say to you that he could walk into a room and he could scare you to death, Connie would look at me and say, you're out of your mind. He's such a mild-mannered, simple little guy, you would never think that was the case. But he was one of those people that when he would walk into a classroom, everybody just had to sit up straighter. There's no way to explain that. Some people just have that effect on you. And, uh, you know, he would just walk in the room. He was a man of very few words. I recall one time he walked into a classroom and we had been given a very important assignment. We were supposed to have it completed that day. He walked in. He didn't say hello. He didn't say anything nice to us. He just sat down at his desk. He picked up his pencil and he said, yes or no, I have completed my assignment. And then he started reading off the names to the sound of no, 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 no. And after about the fifth no... He just very quietly set his pencil down. He did not look up. He just set his pencil down. And very quietly he said, I'd better hear a yes pretty soon. Now that doesn't sound like much, does it? But most of us were absolutely trembling. Please, somebody say yes. See, that's just the kind of a guy he was. Well, there was another time that he came in the room. And I remember that he was extremely animated this day. He was pacing the floor. He was enraged. And it's hard to imagine that he would be enraged. But he was. You guys may meet him because I'm thinking about having him come and preach for us one of these days here soon. But uh, finally, we, we asked him, what is your problem? What, what, what's going on? Why are you so upset today? And he proceeded to tell us how one of his past students, one of somebody who had gone through this school and had gone out and, and had passed through the church, had, uh, had fallen into sin and had had to give up his church and walk away. And, and, and Dr. Woodford was just incensed by that. 
And he was just preaching at us about how there's just no excuse. There's no excuse for that kind of a thing. And one of the things he said was, there is no substitute for distance. That's the foundational principle I want us to see this morning. There is no substitute for distance. Say it with me. There is no substitute for distance. In other words, sin is real, and dabbling with it is unacceptable. We need to stay away from it ourselves, and we need to teach our kids to do the same. Dabbling is dangerous. And actually, dangerous is not a strong enough word. Dabbling is deadly. And the antidote to dabbling in sin is distance. Distance. Yesterday, I was tagging along while Beth babysat Jericho. And at one point, I was carrying him around the house because he was thinking about crying. So I was (laughs) carrying him around. And I was showing him shiny things and trying to keep him from crying. And I showed him flowers and things like that. At one point, I walked over and I showed There was a candle burning there. I walked over and I showed him the candle. And I said to him, hot, don't touch which is, of course, ridiculous. He's, he, he, he's, he, he's a little young for that, but nonetheless, he had no idea what I was saying. But you know, that's one of the things we start early with our kids, isn't it? Don't go near that stove. Why do we do that? Because we know instinctively in our minds that there is no substitute for distance. We don't want the kid to burn his hand. Keep away from that which is hot. We do it with a lot of things. Stay out of the street! If some stranger walks up to you and tries to get you to get in their car, run! We do this with our kids. On all these different sorts of things. Well, what we're saying to them is there's no substitute for distance. And it's a truth. It's a foundational truth that goes far beyond hot stoves and busy streets. The Bible teaches us there are a lot of other dangers that we need to teach our kids. And we really need to model in our own life first. Uh, They are far worse. So let me just mention three. You may not agree with me totally on these things, but I, I hope you'll at least think about them a little bit. Our key verse, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. I think it teaches us that there is no substitute for distance from sinful people. There's no substitute for distance from sinful people. Christians need to keep their distance. We need to be careful in our associations. We need to choose the organizations we align with carefully. We need to take great care in cultivating friendships. And I think, actually, we need to be be very careful about our local churches. We need to examine our churches very carefully before we join with them. We need to be careful what people we allow to influence us, for sinners can entice us into sin. Isn't that what it says? My sin, if sinners entice you, do not consent. There's an example of this in Proverbs chapter 7. Let's look there. Proverbs chapter 7. We'll read a few verses here, because this is a, one of the few sections in Proverbs where you have a long section. It's all one, one thought. But Look at Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6. At the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart, She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. And so she caught him and kissed him. With an impudent face, she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows, so I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. 
For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag with him, and he will come home on the appointed day. And with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. And immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Enticing speech. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. There's an example in Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent beguiled Eve. Isn't that how he did it? He enticed her and she dragged us all into sin with her. There's an example in Genesis chapter 39 where Potiphar's wife tried to lure Joseph into sin with enticing speech. There's an example in Judges chapter 16 where Delilah's continuous nagging enticed Samson to uh, give up his secret. And forfeit God's blessing and calling on his life. There's an example in Matthew chapter 4 where Satan tried again and again to entice the Savior into sin. And there might be an example in John chapter 21. Simon Peter said in John chapter 21, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out immediately and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. We've used that verse in some other messages before. And I say it might be because we can't be absolutely certain what was going on in Peter's mind. But there is one interpretation where there was, says, when Peter said, I'm going fishing, what he was really saying was, I'm giving up on this Jesus thing and I'm going back to my life of fishing. And you notice what happened? A whole bunch of the rest of them went with him. And so if that's the right interpretation, it's an example of this, is it not? Others were influenced to do the same. The principle is clear. There is no substitute for distance from sinful people and sinful associations. We cannot be enticed by that from which we are completely removed. If there is distance, there is no enticement. The NIV says this very, very well in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10. It says, My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Proverbs chapter 12, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs chapter 13, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. There's many, many, many examples of this in Proverbs. There's no substitute for distance from sinful people. Now let me pause here just for a minute because it's important for me to make sure we understand something. Remember, our focus here is very, very narrow. We're talking about family matters. And so that's the way we're applying this scripture. I know that we as Christians are tasked with taking the gospel to the lost. I I know that. And I don't want to make you think that I'm saying something different. I know that we need to build relationships with the unsaved so that we have opportunities to share the gospel. I know that. But the Christian's relationship with the sinner always is evangelistic, always is the matter of trying to win them, always is trying to make disciples of them. Our contact with them is always out of concern for their soul. We go to them in order to win them to Christ, in order to share the love of Christ with them. So in that context, in that context, we do go. The Bible doesn't teach isolation from sinners, but it does warn against fraternization with sinners. It does warn against associations with sinners. And in that context, there's no substitute for distance. You see, there's an unfortunate fact in our fallen world, and that is that people often sink just like water. You know, water will seek the lowest level, and so too do we as people. You've heard it said, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. I decided before I was, as I was researching that that, that little thought was in my mind, one bad apple spoils the whole bunch, I thought, I'm going to look that up. I like to know where quotes come from. You never know who you're quoting. So I want to make sure I knew who I was quoting. And I found this article by somebody named Angela Russell who had dug into this. I don't know who this girl is. 
But I, I found something in here humorous that she said. So let me just read a little bit of her article about that thing. She said, the phrase, one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch as we use it today, means that one person doing wrong can affect a whole group of people. It can mean that the person doing wrong can have a negative influence on those around him or her, causing them to do wrong as well. Chaucer was quoted as saying that the rotten apple ruins its neighbors. She goes on and says, My attempts to discover the origin and meaning of the phrase, one bad apple can ruin the whole bunch, were futile. I spent quite some time searching for this information and ended up with not much more than I, than I knew when I started. I found many references to the phrase and several usages for the phrase, but in none of the information I read did I discover the origin. And then she says, it is thought to be a Chinese proverb, but no documentation exists as proof of this. The proverb originally was, one mouse dropping ruins the whole pot of rice. And I like that one better. <laughs> one mouse dropping ruins the whole pot of rice. It all says the same thing, doesn't it? I can think of people, and so too can you who proved that theory. Can you not? People who perhaps were once serving and living for God until some particular influence came into their life, and they're not anymore. Suddenly they were dragged away. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Or as another translation renders that, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. And so it's a principle. It's all throughout our Bible. It's not just in Proverbs. It's everywhere. There's no substitute for distance from sinful people. Our kids need to see us parents live that truth. If they see us allowing evil influences in our life, there is no point in opening our mouths and trying to tell them about their associations and their friends. Nobody can sniff out our hypocrisy faster than our kids. It's clear to them. There is no substitute for distance. Moms need to live it. Dads need to live it. And we need to teach it to our children. We need to watch their associations carefully. You know what I think? I think we as parents can't be friends to our kids when they're growing up. There'll be time for that. Right now we're supposed to be their parents. And right now we have to watch their associations. Right now we have to demand distance. And one day, one day, they will come to thank you. So there's no substitute for distance from sinful people. Let me just mention another couple real quickly. There's no substitute for distance from sinful sights. From sinful sights. And I want to be very, very specific on this because there is an issue in our day that is destroying us. Destroying our churches, our homes, our country, our world. And that's the issue of pornography. There needs to be so much distance between ourselves and pornography between our children and pornography, that it is simply impossible to see it. Because there's no substitute for distance from simple sights. You remember that old song we learned when we were in Sunday school? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. David saw Bathsheba, and that story did not end very well, did it? And it doesn't end very well for either of us, for you either, if you allow your eyes to see what they should not be seeing. It won't end well for sons or daughters if you as a parent do not stand like a Thermopylean warrior against that sort of thing in your home. There is no substitute for distance. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? And all how we need to have just that same covenant. And we need to extend that covenant around our kids as well. No substitute for distance. 
from sinful sights. We were supposed to have a motorcycle ride yesterday, but somebody who shall remain nameless on the front row chickened out and canceled it. There seemed to be a little rain for some reason that seemed to stop him. Uh, I wasn't going to be able to go anyway, so I can't pick on him too much. But you know what? A few years ago, I decided that I was going to get back to riding a motorcycle. And I have found that to be a very, very relaxing and enjoyable uh, activity. A few things clear the mind, like a motorcycle ride down a country road on a quiet day. There's just nothing like it. You know, there's some things that I've learned, some lessons that I've learned while riding down a road on two wheels. And there's one lesson that anybody who rides a motorcycle no doubt knows is true. It has been referred to by the phrase, head and eyes. Have you ever heard that phrase? Head and eyes. It's also been referred to by the phrase, you go where you look. Have you heard that one? Most of us have learned that the hard way. When I first bought my motorcycle, I was very unsteady on it, very unsure probably embarrassing to myself and anybody else who happened to be around me. And I remember the very first time that I had to uh, put gas in that motorcycle. I hadn't had to deal with that yet. And I pulled into the gas station over on 14 there uh, in Edinburgh. And, of course, as, as you would expect, there was, uh, must have been a thousand cars in there. It was completely packed out. And so I go creeping in there, all shaky. And I had to go through, thread my way through some cars, and all the way up to a front thing. And I, you'd think that would be so simple. And it would be simple now. But on that particular day, as I was trying to get my way up through there, I looked and there was a car over here. And I thought, I'm a little close to that car. But as I watched that car, I found myself getting closer and closer and closer to that car until I really was almost in a panic that I was going to hit the car. I did not. I didn't do it. I managed to get to the pump. But it's the, it's the principle. Do you see the principle? You go where you look. You learn this in all kinds of ways on a motorcycle. Roadkill in the road, don't want to hit it, you certainly don't want to look at it. Otherwise, you're going to put a tire right down the middle of it and spew goo all over the back of it. Uh, you go where you look. You go where you look. Yesterday, I think just yesterday, I was looking at a YouTube video uh, about some of these things. And it showed a, an individual who was sneaking his way down the dragon tail, and, uh, which is a curvy road. A lot of motorcyclists like to go on. And this guy was trying to teach this lesson, and he was... He was narrating this particular thing. And you're watching this novice rider as he's going around this curve. And as he's going around this curve, a car was coming the other way. And the narrator said, watch the rider's head. And sure enough, the rider's head went, whoop, and turned and looked right at the car. And the second he did that, that motorcycle just turned and plowed right into that car, absolutely like he had shot it out of a gun. You go where you look, head and eyes. It's an illustration to me every time I think about it. About this foundational truth. Don't you think? There is no substitute for distance from sinful sights. What we look at determines so much in our life. Well, there's a third thing here. With this one, I'll be done. There's no substitute for distance from sinful thoughts. Sinful thoughts. I believe it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, Sow a thought, and you reap an action. Sow an act, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. And the interesting thing about that quote is the progression. It started with a thought. It started here. If you allow sinful thoughts in your mind, they lead to sinful actions. And so there is no substitute for distance, even from sinful thoughts. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 says, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. I cannot allow ice cream in my home. It cannot be allowed. Because when I sit down of an evening to read or to watch a little TV, 
my mind says to myself, there's ice, ice cream in the freezer. It's, it's just a thought. And soon, thinking becomes dipping, and dipping becomes eating. And eating becomes very ugly numbers on this bathroom scale. I cannot have ice cream in my house. Last evening, Beth and I were driving home from Canfield, and we were discussing this very thing. And I said to her in a very stern voice, I said, we've got to get rid of the ice cream in the house. We cannot have the ice cream in the house. And I lectured her about this very thing. We got home. We sat down for approximately 30 seconds. And my mind immediately said, there's ice cream in the freezer. And within seconds, of course, I was slurping it down. You see, that which I thought about was soon in action. It's a principle all throughout the Bible, isn't it? You say, what's the solution? Well, the solution is remove the ice cream. That, That really is not the solution. Because you know what? I happen to know some other things. I happen to know there's ice cream in Circle K. I happen to know there's ice cream in Giant Eagle. And so if I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, I'm going to be in my pajamas down at Circle K getting ice cream. No, the substitute, I mean, the, the, the solution to, the, to thoughts is you have to substitute something else. When Beth and I were Daniel fasting, we learned about Slurpees. Slurpees? Smoothies. Smoothies. Fruit smoothies. We found them to be delicious and nutritious and a nice substitute for ice cream. And so now I can sit there and I can say, ice cream, smooth. And I don't have to go running off after ice cream because there's something else there. There's no substitute for distance from sinful thought. But the, but, but the solution in this case is to replace them with godly thoughts. To fill your mind with something else. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on, think on these things. And so we need to learn to think right. As parents, we need to learn to think right. We need to teach our children to fill their minds with godly thoughts rather than the stinking thing that pervades our world. Teach them to think right thoughts. And you know where we're going to find that, right? Foundational truth number two, we're going to find it in the Bible. John MacArthur says the secret to the spirit-filled life is the word-filled mind. So there's no substitute for distance from sinful thoughts. We can think of a lot of other examples of this, but do you see the principle? No substitute for distance. We can apply that in so many different ways. But let me close. And let me close by pointing out, hopefully that you don't think of this as just a negative message, because you could think that, couldn't you? You could listen to what I'm saying and say, and all he's saying is a bunch of don'ts, don't look, don't think, don't go, don't do. And that's how that could sound. But I hope that's not the way we see these, these truths from God's Word, because God's truth is positive. It's not negative. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He wants to ease our burden, not make it heavier. There is no substitute for distance. It's meant to help, not hurt. It's meant to guide us, help our kids, not hurt them. And so let's reread a few of those Proverbs we just read a few minutes ago and see if you see the positive side of them, because we didn't stress it before. Proverbs 13:20: he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. God's warning results in a positive there. Do you see it? Wisdom. Uh, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We don't lose anything by putting that distance there. We gain something. The mercy of God in our life. 
Proverbs chapter 28, verse 18, whoever walks blamelessly will be saved, but he who is perverse in his ways will suddenly fall. We don't lose anything by watching where we go and what we do. We gain. Proverbs chapter 3, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Blessing! The blessing of God! That's what we get when we realize there's no substitute for distance. And when we distance ourselves from sinful thoughts and sinful sights and sinful places and sinful people. Blessings. Our kids need to see that. They need to see it in us. And they need to hear it from us. There's no substitute for distance.